Welcome to the Accelerating AI Podcast. I'm your host, John Connell with Investiture AI. And I'm Luis Gonzalez, your co-host. We see automation as the modern industrial revolution and the emerging AI stack as critical infrastructure for the future of work. In the Accelerating AI Podcast, we spotlight thought leaders and product visionaries solving real world problems to help growing businesses navigate AI deployment in their organizations. I had the pleasure of serendipitously running into today's guest, Jackie Co, at a Salesforce Ventures and Slack Fund event during San Francisco Tech Week, where we chatted about building AI tools. His company, Relevance AI, is building a low-code platform that is going to change the game for productivity by opening up AI app and agent building to non-technical users. Agent taxonomies and co-pilots have received a lot of attention recently. And the last event I stopped by that Jackie's company hosted on Building Agents was standing room only with a line literally out the door. <laughs> Agents today present an emerging opportunity for businesses automating workflows, and a lot of folks are excited about their long-term potential. So Jackie, thanks for hopping on today. Thanks for having me. To kick things off, tell us a little bit about you, Jackie, and what was your inspiration for bringing Relevance AI to the world? Yeah, sounds good. My name is Jackie Toe. Uh, I'm actually much more from a data science uh, and machine learning background. Previous to this, I was the head of machine learning for a large insurance company. And previous to that, a winner of uh, EY's data science competition. I also made multiple mobile apps with my current co-founder. Back then, I actually wasn't technical, but that experience of building mobile apps, getting 7.5 million users, number one on the app store, that whole experience really got us a lot of data, which made me really passionate about data science. But why we actually started Relevance AI really stemmed from the fact that as I was working in the industry, it became really clear uh, that was becoming more and more practical and how powerful it became uh, when it became practical. Uh, so, for example, some of the use cases that uh, I can't talk, talk about deeply, but some of the use cases uh, that we uh, enabled uh, when I was in the industry, it was mind-blowing the efficiency, the productivity gains that you can bring to just the workforce in general, when you actually get it working, but also how difficult it was to get it working. So under that context, we started Relevance AI. We actually started off as a vector database company. This was back in early 2020 when the pandemic started. We bought all the domains for it, vectordatabase.com, vector, vectdb, et cetera. That's actually the context we started. But as we started working with companies and enterprises, we quickly realized we wanted to become uh, closer and closer to the use cases, and we wanted to help them facilitate some of the impossibles for them, especially if you're a non-tech company, like a construction company, it's really hard for them to be able to get the, the right engineers, the right AI expertise to actually get these LM applications, AI workflows going. So we wanted to really get closer to that. And that was something we, we had a really strong skill set in. So we went uh, down the no code uh, and low code path. So what Relevance AI is today is that we want to essentially bring the AI workforce to the world. So AI workforce is made up of uh, many agents, uh, AI agents working collaboratively. And we want to enable that to essentially bring in the doubling of human prosperity. We're getting to the limits of what we can do with finite resources. So how can we use uh, AI to actually unlock that next kind of doubling of human prosperity so that people can find more interesting work, work more efficiently, and really get the AI workforce to do a lot of those more manual, more repetitive, less meaningful tasks. We're used by some of the largest companies in the world, like Autodesk, Roku, and also the company you mentioned earlier, some of the really next generation companies like Linear, Vscript, uh, Todoist, et cetera. So yeah. 
Thank you for sharing all that, Jackie. Conversation right now is quite polarized around mm -hmm. what impact will AI actually have? Is this here to steal our jobs or is this a conduit to a utopian society? When you look at what it is that relevance is bringing to the table, going after those automatable tasks, that's powerful. And the technology, LLMs, that now enable these agents and agent taxonomies, I think that's something that our listeners would probably love to better understand. If you're open to giving a little more color on what are agents and how is it that agents are changing the game from the way that work used to get done. AI agents um, are pretty similar to humans in the sense that you can interact with it, you can talk with it, you can give it textbooks or uh, tools, and then it will be able to use those to actually uh, complete uh, tasks. So in the relevance AI paradigm, uh, what we allow our users and our customers to do is that they can actually first be able to build uh, what we call AI tools uh, and applications that utilizes RAG, vector databases, LLMs, any of the LLMs like Anthropic, OpenAI, or even some of the open source ones, but also integrations into other softwares like Intercom, HubSpot, et cetera. So you can build out these Zapier-like workflows that we call AI tools and applications, and then you can actually embed them as a shareable application so that someone can use it. It's pretty much a form. You type in your inputs and you'll get like an output, or you can actually equip this to an agent and an agent will be able to actually use this in your stead. And now instead of just automating for that specific task, like you would with Zapier, now you can actually give an agent that ability to automate that specific task. And once you give it several of them, it'll actually know how to stitch a more complete end-to-end -end, uh, workflow uh, for you. For example, if I have like a, you know, tool A, tool B, tool C, and tool A is like, I'm going to help you write a very personalized uh, message. And tool B is going to be like, send message to LinkedIn. And then tool C is going to be like, send email to someone. And then maybe there's also tool, tool D, which is like create a lead list. So if we have a sales task, which is like, I want you to go message every Fortune 500 company's operations manager. So one of the first things as a person or as a salesperson, you would know to do is that I would need to first create like a lead list. So uh, then you would create the lead list. And then from each one of these leads, then you would create the personalized messages, which is then tool A. And then you'll send it out like either as email or as a LinkedIn. So it could be either tool B or C. Um, so an agent will actually be able to know that's the kind of pathway uh, and decisions it, make, it needs to make. So you can just equip it with all four of these tools and it will know that that's the pathway it needs to go down to essentially be able to uh, achieve the task that you asked it to, to do. And now if I have some slight variation, let's say uh, I don't want it to go create a lead list. I already have a lead list. I just say, oh, you know, Here's a whole bunch of emails. I want you to create personalized e emails for them so that you can send it some, send them out. Uh, that's something that you can do with that exact same agent as well. Just like, you know, you would with uh, kind of like a BDR, you can just tell it, you know, this is the kind of thing I want you to do and it will be able to do that. So, so yeah. I'm using AI in a lot of those ways as well. How can I automate uh, tasks that don't help me get to a specific end goal? They're not high value tasks, if you will. And so you brought up things like creating lead lists and things that might be agnostic to maybe a vertical or a specific type of business units. I'm curious if there are workflows that you're seeing are more common with relevance AI, are there things that you talk about first before you kind of get into a conversation? What are some of those common workflows that you're seeing from, from a relevance perspective? People are building all sorts of things. <laughs> um, it really ranges from like, you know, automation for legal stuff to mm -hmm. all the way automation to like go to market to all the way automation to just like general administrative tasks. Like for example, I 
I actually use our platform to automate writing of tickets because I'm, I don't know how to write good tickets. So I actually get uh, the agent to do it. I just say, this is a bug I encounter and they will write this beautiful ticket uh, that my engineers can now actually understand uh, stuff like whether it's in prod region or development region, it will all be able to uh, kind of get that information out of me so that I write some good tickets um, on my behalf. But uh, yeah, some of the popular use cases we see on our platform, it's, it's mainly twofold. The number one, and this is the one that we really like, is go-to-market use cases. So stuff yeah. like sales, marketing, being able to not only just automatically generate the content, which tools like Jasper, ChatGPT can, can help you with, which is just writing of the content. Our agents can not only write the content, but also research about that specific topic uh, you want and also publish it into your CMS. So it's really end-to-end. -end. And that end-to-endness is really crucial because if you're just allowing it to kind of create these content, it's it's nice. But at the end of the day, you still need to do your research. You still need to be able to have it uh, like look up on the internet, understand what are some of the top SEO keywords, et cetera. So being able to have it end-to-end -end and actually then publish it as well saves you a whole lot of time because now you can go from, as a human, you can only review articles, maybe like your agent, or your uh, AI workflow generates about 10 uh, articles a day. You can only probably uh, realistically uh, review about eight of them, let's say one hour uh, each. But if you're able to have it end-to-end, -end, then you can actually have it so that it automatically just goes through to your CMS uh, and actually analyze the performance as well. Because if you feed it back the feedback, it's say like, oh, this, this blog is doing really well, this blog is not doing so well, the agent will actually react to it and write better content or edit the existing content as well. So that's one popular use case. Another one is sales, being able to automatically do uh, outreach and outbound on your behalf so that you don't have to have all those LinkedIn conversations. That's something our agent can do and it will actually generate a lot more meetings for you than a normal SDR. That's two really popular ones. And another one, which is kind of the second slash third one, is customer support. So being able to automatically have customers be able to talk to an agent and get answers about all sorts of things uh, around your product or around your specific domain. You know, whenever we talk with clients through Investiture AI, we have a number of talking points that we have to overcome around mm -hmm. policy, regulation, data privacy, security. For a company to adopt Relevance AI, what type of work needs to get done in an organization to ensure AI readiness? So one of the key things is just understanding the, the risks uh, behind it, because a lot of the risks um, that you know companies are concerned about today are probably not actually the, the risk. Uh, but the, the core risk is just understanding what does AI actually mean uh, for, for your company? What does it actually not mean as well? It's not this magical black box that's going to you know, replace everyone or like automate everything. It does require this amount of investment, amount of time, and when you do make those investments, and not only do you make sure that it's more robust, secure, but it also will just perform better. A good example of this is actually what people love to talk about, which is hallucination, right? This, this AI model is like, you know, the LLM is hallucinating. That can be a good behavior and a bad behavior. And mm -hmm. so it can be good in the sense that you're creating content. You kind of want it to, you know, uh, hallucinate, you know, spruce it up a bit so that it, it sounds good, right? But in more of a customer or even legal perspective, you don't want it to do, to do that. And one thing that people kind of forget about, especially general LM models, OpenAI's one and like Llama is that it's by default, it's general purpose. So it's kind of an AI that's just acting as an AI. It's not supposed to be like a cell agent. It's not supposed to be like a content writer. It's not supposed to be like a factual person. So mm -hmm. by 
design out of the box, it's, it's kind of like everyone, but which is also means it's kind of no one at, at the same time. In order for you to overcome hallucinations, so for example, if you say ask it specific topics around science, for example, it might not answer that as well, because right now it's role playing as just a general agent or general AI. But if you actually give it a specific role, you give it more information about the topic, it will actually perform a lot better and also hallucinate less. But there's also a lot of frameworks like guardrails, et cetera, that actually helps you hallucinate less. But in terms of, yeah, one of the key things we, we like to make sure that whether our client is actually ready for us is are you using ChatGPT right now? What, what are your, some of your concerns with that? Um, by having them already kind of be familiar with what is prompting, what is you know, ChatGPT, what is LLMs, the conversation becomes a, a lot easier. Yeah, educating your customer first and foremost. To some of what you were saying there, hallucinations, I'm also thinking temperature, creativity, the limitations there, yes, present challenges to products across the spectrum of generative AI. Where do you think some of this is evolving? Where is it going? Does it come from the frontier labs? I'd love to get your, your quick two cents on where you see uh, some of the shortcomings in Gen AI uh, changing over time. Yeah, honestly, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a group effort. For example, the foundational models, they're going to keep getting better as foundation models. They're going to go more and more multimodal so that they can support stuff like videos, images, et cetera. And then it's going to be more of like the, the middle layer, it's like the application layer slash infrastructure layer that's really going to help take those foundational models and connect it to different systems. And then the application layer, like essentially the domain experts, they're actually connected to the relevant layers as well. So all three of those bodies, and I'm one more to mention is actually also the customers. The customers are really uh, kind of the application layer slash the domain experts there. But having all three of these parties to really contribute uh, to Gen AI and move it forward is really crucial um, because we just have the large language models keep um, getting better. Uh, nobody will know exactly where to put it. Like in the insurance context, you're, you have like thousands of legacy systems, probably not thousands, but like hundreds slash, um, yeah, hundreds of legacy systems. Only a domain expert who's worked on insurance for a long time would know exactly when to use what uh, and how to connect X legacy system to the Y legacy system for what purpose. A, a baseline LLM is not going to be able to do that. So being able to have an expert that wants to contribute to Gen AI and wants to teach the LLMs that this is how you can connect these systems to actually get us a value in the end is, is quite crucial. And I think overall, the, the key thing to driving this forward, and this is what we really, really care about, is getting it into customers' hands, getting people to productionize it, getting people to receive feedback on it. That's the number one thing that we really care about is like, it's nice to prototype. It's nice to, you know, play around, build demos. You know, most of the demos are really cool. But one of the key things is making sure that it's in production, it's getting value or not, no value. Sometimes it's no value, but getting people value so that you can iterate on it. It's kind of like OpenAI until ChatGPT, or I guess even until they pushed GPT out to the world, nobody really knew what was exactly possible. But once it was out in the world, possibilities kind of became endless. And then as more and more people, more and more companies build examples of it, that just inspires each other to build bigger and better things. From my perspective as well, as a solution engineer, we're seeing that too, is this idea doesn't grow without people using it. And you mentioning getting it into customers' hands and toying with it is one thing, but building something truly value-driven is another thing all on its own. I'm curious if you've got any thoughts on, one, how you get it in the hands of people. So if we take relevance, for example, what is one of those things that you do to allow people to use it? I and mean, how have you found success in getting people to be on board with Gen AI, maybe without all of the 
additional things from a preparedness perspective? Yeah, getting in the hands of customers, there's two parts to it, getting into the hands of the people who are building it and then get it into the hands of their customers. So mm -hmm. the first part, honestly, just a lot of content, education, just marketing. We opened up self-serve. That's been wildly successful for us because before it was mainly enterprise top down, but then we opened it up so that anyone can sign up, put in their credit card and use it. That was a really key part to getting it more into more people's hands. But one of the things that we did realize, and we did kind of experience early on, especially because our platform is quite you know, horizontal, you kind of can build anything with it, really. A lot of people didn't know what to build, or even if they did, they didn't know exactly how to build it. It's kind of like a blank slate problem, right? So how we overcame that uh, was one through AI itself, being able to just kind of help them quickly put down an idea and then have essentially like a boilerplate generated for them so that they can work off of that as opposed to blank slate. But the, another one is just templates. Just we, we, we produce as many templates as we can so that people can get inspired and say, oh, this is an example of a use case. Oh, this is another example of a use case. One thing we're actually going to do uh, more and more soon is creating more and more of these templates with domain experts, with some of the, the popular uh, people in specific fields, like uh, let's say security, I don't know who, who's like a top security expert, <laughs> but like, let's say, you know, in marketing, the, there might be some very well known person and we want to work with them to essentially help them, help them create a template so that all of our customers and all of our users can be inspired or use them uh, directly. So then the other part is actually getting it into end customer's hand. What we found, and you know, this is just what our platform is really for and what we're pushing for more and more is. We want these agents to be able to be accessed and used anywhere. And what do I mean by this is the truth is you don't want to always go to chat.openai.com to always be interacting with ChatGPT. You ideally want to be able to interact with it via your email, via your uh, Slack, via your WhatsApp. And that's what we're really helping facilitate as well, is that once you create your agent in relevance, you can actually deploy it pretty much anywhere. The aim is anywhere at the moment. It's, it's a limit, few limited places, but the aim is anywhere. It's, we want it so that you can access it as a Google extension. We want you to be able to access it on WhatsApp. We want you to be able to SMS it. We want you to be able to email it so that you can get that information from anywhere you are. To give you a good example of this is another agent I use besides, you know, some of the bug stuff, but like one of the agents I use is just note-taking because I will have a thought. I don't want to write like 20 paragraphs about it, but I just want to write down my thought and then have the agent almost come up with like, what's a more extended version of it. So before I sleep, that's usually when it comes. I feel like that's for most people. Also when you're in, in the shower, so luckily I have a, a waterproof phone, so that's okay. And I'll just talk to it. I'll be like, I have this idea. This is what I'm thinking of. Can you write it down? Can you elaborate on it for me? And that's an agent that needs to kind of be accessible everywhere. It can't just be, I have to log into relevance and then talk to it on my desktop, I want to be able to just talk to it on WhatsApp, talk to it on Slack, send it an email, et cetera. So, so yeah. Embedded solutions yeah. are <laughs> definitely the future here, right? That is the answer to everything. If you can just have anything that you want at any point in time at your fingertips through a conversational interface, you're in a good spot, right? And take a look across the early stage space right now, and you have so many startups that are solving problems in a vacuum, building products in a vacuum. And then when they're brought to the real world, they realize that there's a disconnect in many instances around what value they're actually bringing to the world and what real world problems they're actually solving. And you'll have pivots that happen on a pretty regular basis in this space, right? Especially given just how fast that the market is moving. And that combined with the awareness 
around the solution area makes this really tough from a go-to-market mm -hmm. standpoint. So I like the approach that you're taking there, Jackie, on templatizing solutions for the various customers that you're, you're working with today. And when you chat with those folks and you're talking about the value, the, the potential that relevance can bring to their business, how do you typically pitch that value? Because it is so broad in terms of just the various use cases that we've already discussed on this call here. I'm imagining you probably have to hone it uh, to the audience that you're speaking to and, and speak pretty clearly to here's how this is going to be uniquely game-changing for your personal workflows. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much what you said. We hone it in. Uh, this is definitely some, some use cases uh, we know a lot more about and can uh, talk to the ROI, talk to customer stories about more clearly, whereas like there's other use cases we're less clear about. But one thing we, we always like to talk to our customers about is actually also what is our mission, uh, what is our vision, and what do we value, and why uh, we are building our platform in a specific way. To give you an example is like, why are we choosing to be horizontal over like vertical? There's been many times as we built the company where we could have gone vertical and it would have been like a huge market. But one thing that we really believe in, and this is, you know, we're bearing a lot of the hard work around this is we believe that actually the AI workforce does need to be horizontal as opposed to vertical. Yeah. And the reason for that is like, let's just say the only agent I provide is a sales agent. You can't make an organization, you can't build a great company with just the sales, uh, just the sales team. Although some people might argue with me instead. Yeah, but it's a similar thing. You can't build a great tech company with just product managers. You need more and more different kind of personas, different kind of experts in the room to actually help you build a great team. And it's a similar thing with the AI workforce. You can't have an AI workforce if you don't have multiple different kind of agents actually interacting with each other, uh, working with each other uh, to actually help uh, contribute even more uh, for any kind of given goal. And this allows you to go, go even more high level with kind of what are the tasks you want the AI workforce to do, as opposed to something specific, you can just say, you know, increase, build some more products for me that will increase KPI here. And then it will probably figure, figure some stuff out there. But that's how we kind of talk to our customers. We like to talk about our vision. We like to talk about our mission. But if it is a use case we know deeply and well in, we'll give them examples, we'll hone in on it, we'll talk about the ROI. Because at the end of the day, it's the technology is cool, but it needs to solve a problem because the problem is where the true pain for a lot of these companies are in. So yeah. When you think about that vision and the end game for the product, what does that look like, Jackie? If you had to paint the picture for us of the agent end game. Yeah, one of the quotes. Uh, from our team is from one of the engineers is that technology has really succeeded when it's kind of in the background, meaning you don't really even notice that you're always using it, but you're always using it. Kind of like phones, we don't really talk about it too much, but we're using it every day. Similar with laptops, it's become the norm. And I definitely think the end game is when we don't even like notice it, we don't really take note of it. It's just part of our daily routine, part of our daily workforce, part of what we do every day. Uh, we interact with it uh, every day. So. I think that's when the end game is. And I firmly believe that's going to happen, honestly, very soon, sooner rather than later. Hopefully, yeah, by 2030, everyone will have uh, a dozen AI agents that will either assist them in, in work or in their personal lives as well. Here, here. If you had to pick, Jackie, one or two other companies that have caught your attention across the AI landscape, what are the names of those companies and what are they building? Yeah, I mean, Descript is awesome. So I, I feel like you guys would already know enough about it. So I won't, I won't talk too much about it. 
But Moto.com, they're a great infrastructure company that allows Python jobs slash Python compute jobs. It's very CPU and uh, GPU friendly, so you can easily switch between the kind of resource you want with it. And yeah, they just have a ton of really user-friendly features. Uh, being able to scale our compute with them has uh, made stuff like fine tuning really easy for us. So yeah, that's, that's an infrastructure company that has really caught our attention and we use them pretty heavily as well. Brilliant. Luis, anything else on your end? No, nothing from my end, Jackie. Thank you so much for jumping on. This was an incredible conversation. You know, from my perspective, very much in the front lines on sales, marketing, and customer service. So hearing a lot from, from your perspective on those use cases that you're seeing and the extensibility and the horizontal approach to those use cases is a breath of fresh air from, from my perspective, very much in a verticalized industry as well. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to see where, uh, where relevance goes next. A pleasure on this end as well, Jackie. And that is it for today. So Jackie, if folks want to reach you, what's the best way to contact you? Uh, my LinkedIn is Jackie Co. You can just search up Relevance AI. My email is Jackie at relevanceai.com or relevance.ai. Either one works. I do have a Twitter, but I I'm, I'm, I'm don't really tweet stuff. So th <laughs> X, those two. X. <laughs> X. X. That's right. X. Uh, <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> you got to get the aggregators with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luis, how about you? How can folks reach you? Yeah, yeah. you can find me uh, on LinkedIn. So there's a lot of Luis Gonzalez's. So I actually recently changed my URL. You can find me at LLM. Huh? dash gonzalez so linkedin backslash in backslash llm dash gonzalez bravo good sir and if you <laughs> would like to get in touch with me to learn more about how investiture ai can support ai adoption in your business feel free to reach out at john at investiture.ai i'm also on linkedin john l dot thanks for listening and have a great day